Welcome to the Ringwood Publishing Podcast. I'm your host, Jess. And I'm your host, Matilda. And each week we are joined by a series of authors, colleagues and guests to talk about all things books and publishing. Hi and welcome to this week's episode of the Ringwood Publishing Podcast. This week, we're joined by Mark Gallagher, author of literary sci-fi novel Saved from the Fire and noted short story writer. His story, The Question, was featured in this year's edition of Postbox magazine. He was also runner-up for Wigton Poetry Prize in 2021 and shortlisted for the Fish International Short Story Competition. We're so excited to have Mark on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks very much. It's lovely to be here. So could you tell us a little bit about your book, Saved from the Fire? I suppose what the best way to do is give you a little bit of the original synopsis that I sent to Ringwood. A small community of settlers discussed whether the books and chronicles they have inherited and collected are the true recorded history of their founders. One of the members is a writer who looks after the books and the chronicles, but he will eventually ask and leave the group and search for the descendants of the original founders. The writer invites the reader to read the chronicles and the books that he has saved. So what follows is the stories and the chronicles that he has collected in his small community. So there's a link stories about the near end of the world. In fact, the opening story is set in Mars. The bad news is for Earth to survive, Mars has to die. It's very dystopian. There is nothing left. There are no countries. There are no civilizations. There's just small communities left. And, uh, and a group of young people and androids must try to survive brutal death cult, disease and plague in a terrifying last functioning city, which may be Glasgow, which may be Edinburgh, or which may be a mix of the two, an age of Europe, a place that calls itself the last democracy, but we're not Knowledge and science are spurned. Brutal librarians burn books and kill anyone who read books. And the city leaders take for themselves the few remaining women who are fertile. The end of the book, the first story set on Mars, the characters on Mars, they are linked. The whole novel comes together. It's interesting that your books have a lot of contemporary issues in them. I think you mentioned having disease at some point that's quite relevant with COVID and then AI is obviously a big topic at the moment. Is that sort of what got you into writing sci-fi? Is the modern issues sort of being reflected in societal fears? Well, I always love sci-fi, but I wanted this dystopian thing. So how do you get dystopia? There's only so many paths to it. How do you get civilization to fall? Like the most obvious way to do it is by climate breakdown and, and waves. There's not just one coronavirus, but waves of them. So eventually the populations are decimated. That basically was my way of setting up this post-dystopian world to explain what happened. And also, yeah, I was affected by contemporary issues. I remember at the time when I was writing it, the origins of the story go way back. You know, the first story that was published was Hartman Running, which was influenced by Ray Bradbury and this introduces this idea of the librarians or the bad guys they are the true gatekeepers they will kill anybody who reads books and they will burn any book they find and this was kind of a love letter to Ray Bradbury but in a very Scottish environment and I, I just loved writing that I think 10 years went past I wrote Sick Twin and that was published in an anthology called Dark Lane and things seemed to accelerate then I wrote a little short story called Pioneer and it was my first Mars story and it was accepted by a magazine called Dreamforce magazine which had just started up in the USA and what was in interesting about that was I sort of broke all the rules of sci-fi writing it was almost all exposition it was just Max Gray talking about how he'd come to be on Mars and there he was and he was talking about his family in Scotland family of fishermen and it was again a lovely up to the kind of writing that Ray Bradbury does and they're full of metaphors and, and lyricism and they normally wouldn't publish a lot but they actually when they read it they burst into tears and thought it was the most moving piece of science fiction they'd read in a long time and they were so sweet enough to publish it in their magazine and they actually showcased it at the sci-fi convention and 
in Chicago. And then I just started writing more Hartman stories. And I realised, thinking about the stories and what I was doing, that they all occupied the same world. So even though they were 15 years apart, it was the same universe they were operating in. And then uh, the Mars story sort of came last. But yes, I was definitely affected by what was happening contemporary. For example, uh, I remember during the Trump campaign, people started going this, you know, well, you've got your facts and I've got my facts. And it was just complete madness when people began to reject science and facts. So and that was very scary. And it was interesting that people could do that. And this fed into my idea that Bradbury stories about the banning of books and the banning of knowledge. I saw it as a kind of a process with climate breakdown that people reject science because it's done nothing for them. The arc of human progress has been broken. They feel like they've been, they've been let down, they've been ripped off. You know, it's like, what's science ever done for us? But you know, it's almost like that. It's almost ironic. It's what science ever done for us. And it almost becomes biblical. There's only a ruined earth left. What did all that knowledge get? So that was interesting to see that uh, rejection of knowledge. Yeah, the rejection of knowledge is very bribery and it was a big thing within society during the Trump election and it was all very like misinformation everywhere. It was quite freaky, wasn't it? Seeing it all actually happen in person. Very scary, yeah, and, and that obviously informed the book. And of course, the coronavirus came out as well, which some of the scenes I wrote about the plague in my novel, they were happening on the news. It's interesting. We had a really similar conversation with Rob McInroy, but then about historical fiction, about how he found that his 1930s fiction was mirroring today's society. And then we see the same thing in other genres like sci-fi. So it's really interesting that you bring that up absolutely incredible that, that you see these parallels all the time one of the curious things if you if we're talking about writer Ray Bradbury who was a great influence on me now I was a boy his novel Fahrenheit 451 he talks about you know, the mechanical hound well that was one of the criticisms of his novel it doesn't seem real that it seems a bit Walt Disney and then here we are in 2015 and the American army are employing mechanical hounds to police people it's incredible the things that used to seem so outrageous is now just day-to-day living it's mad how things develop so quickly so your short stories are often quite realistic as we've discussed but as a soft sci-fi novel Saved from the Fire is actually very different how did you find adjusting your writing to the different styles and genres compared to your previous short story writing I pretended I wasn't writing science fiction I was just writing more short stories and creating a bigger story set in the future so I tried to avoid the idea that I was writing in a genre I just wanted to create great literature and great storytelling and create characters that people would love and you know would move them I wanted people to see Mars and think oh my goodness it's beautiful when I write I don't really think genre it's the story that carries it and you have to get it out and then the story writes itself almost it's a terrible thing to say then people think you're not doing any work so a key theme in Saved from the Fire is censorship, which you've already touched on a little bit, but how that relates to power as well. Could you tell us a bit about how this happens in the novel and why you felt that this theme was important to explore? Well, I had to get this idea about the, the dystopian world, ribbons falling apart, what power structures would remain. It starts with that. You get a popular movement of people saying, you know, let's burn books because what do these writers and these signers, what have they done for us? They've just ruined the world. So that starts the ball rolling. It just gets worse from there. You go from one extreme to the other. And the curious thing is the bad guys always have more fun, don't they? They get to break all the rules. Heroes, you know, they, you have to follow the rules. So it's kind of difficult, you know, when you're writing novels like that. So some of the best fun I had was the character that starts the call when he's on the stage and he's talking about burning books. He invites people and they've always asked them all to burn their book before they come to his show. Quite, that was quite entertaining. They don't even talk books anymore, they talk authors. I burned Charles Dickens, I burned Ray Bradbury, I burned all the great writers and it's just really, really scary. Some of the things I've seen, there's not a lot of difference between what the librarians do and what some people are doing now. The central inspiration for your novel was the works of Ray Bradbury with Fahrenheit 451. Are there any other sci-fi authors that you might consider particularly influential to your work? 
It's got to be mostly Ray Bradbury. I probably the first writer I fell in love with because the first time I went to the library, I was 10. I remember taking the book out, out and read it, and I was extremely dissatisfied. I just remember how frustrated I was. This doesn't seem like the right kind of book. This is not what I want to read. This is, I was something like Enid Blyton's Famous Five or something, you know, and it just didn't work for me. And I went back to the library and I found the Aris for Rocket S's for Space. And oh my goodness, I just swooned when I read the metaphors. It was the language, it was the beautiful language, the metaphors, the lyricism, the poetry. I almost didn't care what Ray Bradbury wrote. I always didn't care what the story was as long as it was Ray Bradbury's language it would literally vibrate when I read, that, read his stuff and uh, I, I read all his books in the library and then I discovered my goodness there's actually Ray Bradbury's books in the adult section I persuaded the librarian what a hero and I believe I mean, she let me take out only Ray Bradbury books from the adult section when I was 10 or 11. I got to take them home. Then I finished all those. I finished all the Ray Bradbury books I thought there was in the world. And then I discovered Ray Bradbury wrote short stories that were sometimes published in magazines and in anthologies. And I would scour the anthologies now to see if I could find a Ray Bradbury story. And the crazy thing is, you know, I completely forgot Ray Bradbury was American. I grew up hearing Ray Bradbury's voice with a Scottish accent. You know, it was quite a shock to me when I first heard Ray Bradbury. I was almost disappointed. And an amazing command of language as well. I mean, it's cool that you're career sort of mimicked what you discovered about him and like publishing your own short stories and magazines being that sci-fi writer with a scottish voice i suppose Yes, it made my life a lot richer. And he wasn't afraid to use emotion. Some people called him a sentimental writer, but you know, it's just people were real people in his stories. They weren't caricatures, which is quite unusual back in the 50s and 60s. You look at the science fiction that was being written at the time, there were very few characters that seemed real. You know, you should be inspired by the fact that he was a terrible writer to start with. Terrible. It took him ages. So he never gave up. He struggled with grammar to begin with. It took him a while, but then he eventually found his voice. And he's also got this advice write one short story a week, and at the end of the year, you'll have 52 short short stories because a lot of people are daunted by the idea of writing novels so at the end of the year you get 52 short stories and he says I defy you to write 52 bad short stories as a short story writer yourself or just a novelist in general what is it that you think makes a good story what advice would you be giving to writers trying to write Try not to give out advice, just keep writing and trust your voice. Make characters you, you like, that people are going to feel and have empathy for. Great short stories have a sense of finish and completeness at the end, even if they're open-ended. There's a sense of, this is where the writer stops and we all become readers. I don't mind open endings. I, I like circular stories where it might open up the scene and it comes back to that scene at the end. I, I find that very intimate and, and an intimate voice as well. Sometimes it's the idea of even the character speaking and it's just you, the reader. The, you are the two people in that room or wherever it is talking now communicating that real connection with the reader I think that's very important if you can get it and it's very difficult to get it I just uh, also don't be tortured by your writing you know I used to like when I was in my 20s think you're very earnest and think you had to suffer and the big topics have to make be so important and all that you know you play to have fun me just to realize that you know have fun enjoy it you know and then if you're having fun you're having fun the reader will have fun absolutely it's the the lost art of writing it's just everyone enjoying themselves <laughs> i don't i don't really have any other advice i sometimes read advice that you find this interesting my heart man running i normally don't react to other writers advice as well but there was a woman writer i can't remember her name she wrote something what do you think is a good short story and she said a good short story's got to hit the ground running the way she wrote it, the way she said it, i quite like that so that became a story to my heart man story just popped in my head heart man hit the ground running and off my story went Hartman's running for his life Have you got any other writing projects in the pipeline that you'd like to tell us about? 
got a short story collection working on, but I keep threatening Sandy at Ringwood, I'm going to send it to him and, and bankrupt him. You know? But I've got a bit of short story collection together. It's really interesting. I've got this these two kind of strands. I've got my realist strand and my sky-fi strand, but they inform each other. You know, some of my realist short stories have elements of surreal in them. And so, you know, I, I'm not very prolific, but I put these together and I realised that these stories, a lot of these short stories of young people, uh, very intense stories, and some of them directly inspired by my hometown of Girvan, which is a terrific wee town. I, I, recommend you get down there sometime and Gavin's sat like one of these hidden corners of the west coast that punches above its weight it's got Gavin Maxwell from Gerv the great playwright in Edinburgh one of Scotland's biggest playwrights he's from my hometown he went to my school we never we never actually met I was past never, never really crossed but we, we do communicate so Gavin's full of these wonderful artists you know and writers and musicians and I've got Ian Powell down there who makes these wonderful light sculptures and other sculptures that are all over Scotland and there's, I think there's a guy called Simon Cunningham who teaches the arts in Glasgow so it's incredible Gerv from the, the tiny little town but all, all these artists coming out of Girvan, there's something something weirds going on in Girvan. People should get down there and find out what's, what we're eating, what's in the water. <laughs> All these writers, and I'm sure there's other writers there. We just started a little arts festival, and I'm sure it's going to go from success to success. So, Gibbon's a wonderful place, very inspiring. I use it in my writing all the time. Yeah. So, I've got this collection, and I've told Sandy I'm going to send it to you. I've told Ringwood I'm going to send it to them, and but I've, I've not done it yet. I'm not, now I've got you two guys on board. I'll, I'll have more push there. We'll be promoting it on the pod. <laughs> Thanks again, Mark, for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. It's lovely being here. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Ringwood Publishing Podcast. If you like listening to stories, Hartman Running, a narrative chapter from Save from the Fire, is available to listen to on the Ringwood Publishing website. Also, the two-year anniversary of Saved from the Fire is coming up, and we're celebrating that with a new ebook cover. So that's available from our website, uh, along with the paperback, of course, and all of our other titles. And remember, we're still accepting submissions for our short story competition. So if you followed Ray Bradbury's advice about writing 52 stories a year then now's the time to pick your best one and submit it to us before the 1st of December see you next week